again, everybody. Welcome back. This is Cami, of course, with another special guest joining us. We are wrapping up our Convo series, and we're very excited for this last guest, Lian Yao, creator of Polyphilia Blog and Non-Monogamy Educator, if you want to say hello. Hi, so happy to be here. Thanks. We're super excited to have you. I know I told Claire from Poly Pages and Gabby this as well. When I first started my non-monogamy journey and ventured into polyamory, you were one of the first polyamorous accounts that I followed as well. So super excited to have you. Poly I love your TikToks, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> your TikTok content is on point. Thank you, you always so find much. The best yeah, you yeah, always find so the much best fun. Way. They're so much fun to make. I'm so glad that you enjoy them as much as I, you know, as I do kind of like making them. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Good. I don't know how many of our listeners follow you on Instagram or TikTok, Polyphilia blog. So tell us a little bit about it, how you got started with that journey and you know, kind of where it's at today. I know you've grown it to be, you know, have quite a large following on both TikTok and Instagram. So yeah, tell us more. So basically I started Polyphilia blog roughly a year ago. It started out as just like a website where I was kind of writing kind of various short essays on my thoughts about various aspects of non-monogamy and polyamory. So I've actually not been running this super long. I think it just like it's it started out and then just took off in a very short period of time. So like, I guess I got pretty lucky. But yeah, it started out as a website. And then I kind of expanded to social media. So I have a Facebook page, I've got a Twitter, I've got an Instagram, and then later on, like TikTok. And initially, I was just kind of writing long form blog posts. And over time, I was like, oh, maybe I should kind of try experimenting with other types of content because like my articles like, weren't getting like a huge amount of traction because I think most people just like couldn't be bothered to read large amounts of text. And then so I was like, okay, I'm going to try creating a meme. And so I made a meme about polyamory and then it reached like a hundred thousand people. Just, oh, wow. Like, first wow. Try. Yeah. Yeah. And then so I was like, okay, clearly this is what the people want. <laughs> um, and then so from there, I started making more memes and then like they started doing really well on various platforms as well and then I kind of grew from there and then so it was a kind of very like entertainment focused you know I was kind of making memes for the community kind of touching on like various kind of aspects of like daily non-monogamous life and it was all kind of very light-hearted but then I kind of used them to kind of spark larger kind of more detailed discussions as well and then over time people were like hey we want to hear more about kind of what tips you have for the community and like maybe a bit more about your life and then so went back to kind of giving out more advice and like you know, writing lengthier captions in my posts. And so it kind of went back and forth, I guess. But now I would say that Polyphilia has become, I guess, what I would call like an edutainment platform, like where the aim is to educate, but also in a lighthearted and humorous way. So like, I want to make people laugh. And um, I think that usually kind of helps them retain information, like when they find it funny. Um, so uh, that's mm -hmm. kind of like what I do. And so um, I create like a mixture of memes. I post like various kind of tips every day. I, I post a lot of tweets. Some are 
like by myself and some are kind of curated from Twitter. And I also create a bunch of videos on TikTok. And so, yeah, I would say kind of my largest following is on uh, TikTok and Instagram at the moment, but I also have like a significant following on Facebook and Twitter. So yeah, that, nice. that, uh, that's me. So since then, you know, I've been, yeah, trying to kind of expand to multiple platforms and do more things. So I do like workshops and conferences and interviews and, you know, I sell merch. I offer kind of private peer support to kind of help like individuals who need kind of further support. And yeah, I've got like lots of plans in the future in terms of kind of like how to take this further. But yeah, that's kind of my whole journey as regards to this blog. Love that. A little bit more about the peer support, because I did notice recently on some of your stories, you posted like reviews from that. How do you like those? Like, I think it'd be so fun to be able to talk to people about, you know, their personal journeys and give them, you know, more, I guess, guidance or advice, like you said. So how how have those peer support sessions gone for you so far? Yeah, I launched this peer support service back in March this year. And it's really kind of vastly taken off because I think there really is a gap an education gap I think like in in the community about kind of non-monogamy and I think even though people kind of seek help from like therapists or coaches or whatever like a lot of them don't know that much about non-monogamy and may even kind of pathologize it or invalidate it and so obviously I don't claim to be any kind of therapist or medical professional I'm just kind of a regular person living a regular polyamorous life but like the goal of my peer support sessions is to kind of provide kind of advice and support to someone who just wants like an, a friend who is understanding and knowledgeable about non-monogamy and who like knows that by talking to me like they won't be judged and like they will have kind of their issues dealt with in a respectful way and so you know I've helped I've helped people like across the world you know I get clients you know I've gone clients from like at least 20 countries at this point and you know I help like individuals and couples you know whether it's like you know facilitating conversations you know communicating about changes in their relationship or like if someone's going through a breakup or their partner's going through a breakup or like if someone has a lot of drama like with their partner's other partner and they don't know how to resolve that or if someone you know is like opening up their relationship and like there have been kind of some like rocky situations or like even if someone's in you know like a toxic situation they just need like a second opinion on like like what to do next so like I help people with quite a wide range of situations obviously kind of taking into account like my own kind of personal experience so I've been non-monogamous personally for about five to six years and so like I've got kind of that like that kind of background and I've read quite a lot of books on the subject and so I give a lot of recommendations for resources so apart from kind of offering my own opinion I also kind of send a follow-up email with some extra kind of relevant resources that are tailored to that person's individual situation so yeah I've been doing that for a while now and it's really fun and it's really fulfilling and you know I think like I really enjoy being able to reach people who perhaps like don't have local community or perhaps kind of people around them who like understand and are able to support them in the way that they need and so kind of providing that service has enabled them to like you know get some more perspective on their journey and like make the choices that empower them the most. I love that especially that you mentioned you know how maybe if they go to a therapist the therapist might not be able to help so you know utilizing someone like you is a great source because I know you know finding therapists who are experienced in non-monogamies, you know, kind of slim in view. And then I know there are sources out there. I think Gabby had mentioned one when we interviewed her where, you know, you can find therapists that are like, you know, pro non-monogamy or, you know, supported, things like that. But, you know, to have ones that have actually experienced it, I'm sure can be very hard to find. So especially like if you're in an area where there's not a lot of diversity, I guess, in, in the relationship structures, 
So that's really neat. I really like that. Yeah, you know, I always say that I'm like a supplement to kind of them as like seeking professional help rather than like a replacement because like I obviously don't have like the kind of relevant qualifications to like kind of claim anything of the sort. But then I think sometimes what people need is not necessarily like a treatment plan or whatever, like or a diagnosis, but then what they just want is a supportive friend. And so that's kind right. of like what I'm here for to just be like, hey, like I, I hear you, I listen, you know, I'm, I'm listening and I'm kind of validating your experiences and like, you know, here is my thoughts if uh, like, if I were in your situation or like, you know, here are kind of some things that you might want to be aware of going forward or just kind of extra things that they might not have considered because sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I know you mentioned a lot of the platforms that you're on. Are you on Reddit at all? By chance? Uh, <laughs> no, no. I used to be quite active kind of answering questions on Reddit, but then like over time I was like, this is just exhausting. Cause like, I don't know. I'm I'm in a lot of Facebook support groups and like, I think like the advice that you can get on there can be a bit of a coin toss because like on the one hand, like you can, you get so much crowdsourced advice from so many people, but then on the other hand, like some of the advice is just bad. <laughs> like I've had similar experiences on Reddit where like sometimes I've just read some of the other stuff that other people have commented and gone like, oh my God, please don't listen to this other person. <laughs> like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. And I think these days, like I spend so much time creating content that I don't really have that much time left over to kind of just like scroll through reading about like, mm -hmm. you know, other people's <laughs> like stuff. Um, so yeah, I was, but not anymore. Interesting. Okay. I ask because I'm on Reddit all the time. So I like Reddit, but I, you know, I haven't really ventured into Facebook groups. So now I'm kind of curious to see what some of these are like. I imagine it's very sort of similar. I think they're much better moderated than on Reddit. Really? I think on Reddit, I like the, the mods don't really step in unless like someone is like flagrantly abusing the rules. Whereas like on Facebook, I think the conversations are much more tightly controlled and they've got more people on board to kind of moderate conversations, which has pros and cons. But then I think that you get much more fruitful feedback as a whole on Facebook, mm -hmm. if you don't mind being overwhelmed by the fact that there's like 40,000 people in a single group. So yeah, it's a toss up. Interesting. Okay, cool. I like that. Like I said, I love everything that you're doing with all the content and whatnot. Definitely. I, you know, I, I remember we had mentioned this when we discussed with Claire as well, you know, the more of us out there making good content about non-monogamy and helping educate people, I think the better. I like your edutainment approach because that's kind <laughs> of the approach I have with this podcast, you know, like I'm kind of learning along the way and I want to share what I'm learning along the way. But at the same time, like I'd like to think Kami and I are sometimes a little bit funny, you know, we have kind of a kind of dynamic. So. <laughs> So yeah. Now quite a bit of your content that you, or at least that I always really appreciated, we can kind of segue into this now, is you talk a lot about the terms used in non-monogamy and polyamory. And to be honest, you know, when I started my non-monogamy journey, I really wasn't super active on social media related to non-monogamy. We started off with more of kind of like an open relationship, mainly when we're both pilots, my husband and I, so we travel a lot for work. And so when we were away, we'd, you know, go do things, whatnot. And so, but once we kind of took a little break during COVID, once we kind of opened back up, we dove into it more, I would say. And when I started to learn the terms, not going to lie, I was really overwhelmed at first especially with polyamory. And I just see like on social media and on Reddit as well and, and just other platforms, like there's there tends to be sometimes a lot of confusion, not only from like the non-monogamy community, but also, you know, the monogamous community about the terms that we use related to ENM as a whole. So just kind of wanted to dive into a little bit of that. I guess we can kind of start with maybe perhaps non-monogamy versus polyamory, because I feel like even that one still gets confused quite a bit. Yeah, sure. So I would say that, so non-monogamy is like an umbrella term and it encompasses like many different styles of 
relationships that are not monogamous, as the name suggests. And polyamory is one of the things that falls under that. So, you know, a relationship can be both polyamorous and non-monogamous because, yeah, polyamory falls under that, but then not all non-monogamous relationships are polyamorous because there are other types of non-monogamous mm-hmm. relationships. So then, like, under the umbrella of non-monogamy, broadly speaking, I generally categorize them into, like, four different types. And so that would be, like, polyamory, which is specifically the practice of, like, having multiple romantic, loving relationships. And then there's, like, swinging, which is specifically, like, a you know, like, couples you know, venturing out together to have group sex with other couples and singles. So then it's like a very kind of couple focused activity. And then there's open relationships, which is just kind of like a broad term. And to be honest, like I, I've seen open relationships used to refer to both sexually and romantically open relationships. But I think usually these days, when someone says open relationship, they mean a relationship that is sexually open, but not romantically open. So like, there's still like a primary couple that are romantically exclusive to each other, and they have like casual sex with other people. And then finally, there's like monogamish, which is basically you're mostly monogamous, but then occasionally, say, if like an opportunity comes up, or like, if you're on holiday, or if, you know, just whatever, like, for whatever reason, you want to give someone a whole pass, then like the outside sexual activity is seen as like the exception rather than the norm, hence like monogamish. And so I think in a way, you can probably see this like on a spectrum. So from monogamy to polyamory, where monogamy is you know like complete exclusivity and then monogamish is kind of like cracking the door open a little bit and then swinging is like you know venturing out with other people but you're still doing it as a couple like as a unit and then open relationships which is where like you're kind of seeing people separately but it's still kind of romantically exclusive and then finally polyamory which is like full non-exclusivity romantically and sexually so that that's kind of like the full range and i think like it's helpful to kind of like view it on a spectrum rather than as like opposing binaries or like specific categories i love that so as you kind of explained that spectrum i realize now that's kind of the spectrum that we literally took like Mm. almost every single one along the way started out monogamous then monogamish we then we started venturing into like more stuff together and open and now like more polyamory. So that's really cool. Monogamish was actually one that I hadn't really heard of a ton. I'd seen it once or twice. So thank you for explaining that one because I didn't really have a whole or like kind of a clear view of what it was. Yeah. And now that you say that, you know, I think like looking back on my own journey, I also kind of started out, you know, with baby steps, like, you know, kind of opening up a little bit. And then I didn't make the jump from monogamish to like swinging to open relationships. I think I just jumped from monogamish to open relationships. And then just it would occasionally like do like group stuff with other people. But it was also kind of a slow progression. I think other people, you know, some people do it that way. Some people kind of like just jump straight from monogamy to polyamory, particularly if you're the kind of person who doesn't like having casual sex and can't really experience kind of you know multiple connections like without like a romantic component so i think it really depends on the person but then you know it is very common for people to jump from like general non-monogamy to polyamory usually because like if you're having sexual relations with someone over like a long period of time at some point you know unless you're only having one night stands or like you're only going to parties like usually feelings get involved at some point down the line and also i think as people kind of get more like secure and uh, like in kind of practicing one type of non-monogamy then they're more open-minded to opening up the full way Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Because I think when, you know, kind of when we started, we had kind of boundaries and and rules and stuff in place to like, kind of prevent the development of emotion, just because we weren't ready kind of to open up emotionally to other people. And then eventually, we kind of worked up to it. And so now we feel more comfortable. Granted, the people that go from monogamous to like full blown polyamory, like amazes me, because at least to me, like, 
the jump from even just open relationships, Polly Amory felt huge. Yeah. Like, yeah, there have definitely been times where my husband and I are like, what the fuck are we doing? (laughs) 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 It can be very overwhelming. Now, I will say swinging, and I've said this before in other episodes, I have very strong opinions about the word swingers. And not in the sense that like, if a couple swings and they like to use the term swingers, like identify with that, I have no issues with it. That's a title that they like to use or the label, whatever, no problem whatsoever. My problem is, is that like a lot of times when I tell people, I'm like, oh yeah, we're in an open relationship. They're like, oh, so you guys are swingers. I'm like, no, like the monogamous community likes to, I think, group everyone under the non-monogamy umbrella, under the swingers term. Mm -hmm. And that's where I draw a lot of frustration with it because I'm like, now it's like, no, like you got to look at it differently. Like this isn't it, you know? And I know that our first episode was kind of about that kind of like breaking it down a little bit similar to kind of how you explained it, but slightly different. I used a cake visual cause I really like cake, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just to kind of show people that like, it's not just that one term, like that's where I draw frustration with the term swingers. Have you ever had people that when you tell them like, Oh, I'm open or whatever, they think that's the first word they gravitate to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think like with polyamory, the main thing that people come up against in terms of kind of a criticism and misconceptions is that like it's about sex and obviously like while sex is like a big part of how like a lot of people love it's not kind of the main focus right i think like the main distinction between polyamory and other types of non-monogamy is that polyamory focuses more on like you know romantic love and connection and intimacy whereas other types of non-monogamy is like you know very like sexually focused and you know, this creates an interesting kind of, creates some interesting debates, basically, because, you know, on the one hand, while I think it's really important that, like, we did make that distinction about, like, kind of the focus of polyamory versus the focus of, like, other types of non-monogamy, I think sometimes some people in doing so kind of venture into quite sex-negative territory, where, like, they kind of shame other types of non-monogamists because it's like, oh, you know, like, we're better than you because, like, we focus on love, not, like, sex, and so we're not, like, those dirty Mm -hmm. swingers. And, you know, so I do a lot of combating of that, like, on my page because, like, I am, like, the sluttiest non-monogamous person ever. And so, like, you know, I identify, (laughs) I'm very open about how you know, I really love having sex and I really love having group sex and I have sex with a lot of people. And, you know, and I don't think that that makes me less polyamorous, right? Whereas like some people are like, oh, you know, the focus should be on love and connection and, you know, you're like less pure if you kind of engage in horny debauchery. (laughs) And so, you know, I think like there's room for people to practice multiple types of nominogamy at once, right? Because like I am polyamorous and I do engage in kind of multiple relationships, but then my partner and I, also go to a lot of parties together you know we host and attend different kind of uh, like sex parties where like we meet other swingers and you know that's like a really fun time and so you know you don't have to kind of pick one side you can you can do kind of multiple things at the same time but i think that's where the confusion lies because there's obviously some overlap and then the people who don't kind of fall into both those camps get very resentful when like the two things are conflated and i'm sure we can get into this uh, at another time but like you know, most recently on the TV show You of season three, like they basically just said that polyamory was the same thing as swinging, which I'm mm-hmm. sure must have angered you greatly, like when you saw that. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like that's the main difference between the two. And I think like more people need to more learn about that. And I think maybe 
one of the reasons why this happens, like why like the two things are conflated, is because like I think at the end of the day, the idea of having multiple relationships, the idea of loving more than one person, is still like a very foreign idea to a lot of people. Like, you know, a lot of people have threes and fantasies. A lot of people enjoy the idea of like group sex or like having sex with multiple people at the same time. Like this is like not, you know, like not a wild thing to imagine. But then as you said, making the jump from open relationship to polyamory was huge. And I think it's about kind of deconstructing like the idea of you know the one and like the soulmate in your other half and I think deconstructing like the idea of the couple as well and I think that kind of having to unlearn like such kind of fundamental core beliefs can be very massively destabilizing to a lot of people which is why like it's so difficult to open up from a long-term monogamous relationship because like you're basically kind of upending all the foundations of your relationship you know and so yeah, so taking that leap is less about kind of like, oh, you know, we were sexually open and now we're romantically open as well. I think it's like, there's so many, so many more layers to that than just kind of like taking the next step. I think it's also about deconstructing these things that society has taught us about, you know, like the Disney romantic ideal and all of that stuff. Whereas you don't have to do so much of that if you're having like an open relationship or if you're swinging, because the, the focus is still on like the one romantic couple being like the focus of everything and like, you know, everyone else kind of revolving around that. Yeah, kind of what you said in that where, you know, if people are just doing it for like the sex or like the exploration, you know, you get some of that backlash from like within the community where they're like, oh, well, that's not really like, like I've seen before where a couple was like, oh, we're really into like threesomes. And, you know, people are like, well, that's not really non-monogamy. That's just kind of like a fantasy. And I'm like, no, I mean, it's not monogamy. It's just kind of like on, you know, a very opposite side of the spectrum than polyamory. But absolutely, polyamory is where you kind of deconstruct it all and and now you're like separate people more so like more autonomous human beings and so i would agree it's it's a lot that's where i find a lot of the struggle i wouldn't say struggle is like a lot of the work is to really kind of like become your own people now you mentioned sex parties and i just want to say you know on instagram they like send you a question in on your stories and you respond and i remember one time you mentioned Someone was talking about like having sex with multiple people. And like one day I had a very proud moment when you were like, oh, I've had sex with eight people in one day. And I was like, you got me beat. My record is four. I was like clapping when I read that. I was like, yes, go you. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not ashamed to kind of talk about that stuff. You know, I think it should be normalized. Like uh, sex oh, is yeah. fun and pleasure is good for you. Like I said, in the ethical slut. Yes. Um, yeah. Also, it's easy to kind of rack up numbers. Like when you're in a group sex situation I mean if you're just like in a massive pile and everyone's touching everyone like you know at what point <laughs> does it count as like sex and like not sex you know like does it count like yeah. only after you've like done oral or like does it count if there's like penetration like you know like I think everyone defines sex so differently but then I think in a yeah like I said like in a group sex situation like if you're just like it's just like a mass bodies and you're just like well <laughs> that's four done you yeah. know like <laughs> I love that. I'm a huge fan of sex parties, so I'm glad we can relate on that level because I think they're super fun. And I agree. Like when I go, we see all kinds of structures of like non-monogamy. The first time we went, I remember the couple who hosts them, you know, I was like, hey, it's the first time we're going. She was like, no pressure. She was like, there are couples that go that just go to watch. There are couples that go just to play like together. You have people that go separately and just like, like have all the fun. And then like, so it's just like a whole entanglement of like all the different layers. And that's where I really started to like meet more people and learn about like all the different structures, like seeing how people enter non-monogamy differently. And so at least that's what I really enjoyed about them. And, and it helped me definitely gain a community, I would say. So yeah, I think sex parties are a lot of fun. So 
so yeah yeah absolutely honestly like I've done so many interviews about group sex and orgies like whether it's like attending them or organizing them and you can probably find more of them like linked on my page but I genuinely think that they can be such like a wholesome and healing space because like when everyone's just like feeling themselves and like really being free to kind of explore fantasies and like a part of themselves that they aren't able to like in under normal circumstances and everyone's like so yeah like you see so many kind of naked bodies and people just like having fun and doing whatever and I think it's like it can be very empowering and so I have had a great time like at sex parties and I think that it's a shame that they aren't more normalized (laughs) because like I I think it's genuinely obviously if you're like not into sex then that's your prerogative but then I think for those who are like interested in it it's definitely an experience that you don't want to miss Yeah, absolutely. No, I love the sex positivity because I'm also, I consider myself a very happy to say slutty and sexual individual, especially with this podcast too. Like we talk about it all the time. So I enjoy those conversations. Now I wanted to ask kind of tying it a little bit back to some of the terms in in non-monogamy and such. This is one that I always see quite a bit, or I've seen it before, ethical non-monogamy versus consensual non-monogamy. Any thoughts on that? I personally, I like ethical non-monogamy. I think ENM as an acronym is easier than CNM because it kind of reminds me of like CNN, the news network here in the States. So (laughs) I don't like CNM. Not that I don't like CNN. It sounds too much alike. So I like ENM. Anyways, thoughts on those. Uh, yeah, to be honest, like, I think there's like a massive debate in the community because it's like, oh, you know, just because people consent to something that doesn't inherently make the thing ethical. And I think different people have different definitions of what is ethical and not ethical. Like, that's why like CNM became a thing. And CNM was popularized by researchers who are kind of studying non-monogamous people. And they say CNM instead of ENM because like, there's no way of saying like, what isn't isn't ethical and this dif- differs from person to person. So ethical non-monogamy is what like people in the community use and consensual non-monogamy is what generally kind of more like professional and kind of researchers use but like I think there is some overlap obviously personally though I just ditch the prefix entirely and I just say no monogamy because mm-hmm. you know like we don't like in my opinion like I think that it's really redundant to say like whether something is ethical or consensual because like I think you can see that through the actions and I don't need to kind of slap a label on it to say to like justify my actions I think also um it puts you know, it puts quite like a lot of pressure and expectation onto non-monogamous people to say like, you know, we're always like going to be ethical 100% in all of our actions. Because like, I think like we all have bad moments. And while we should always kind of strive for like, you know, kindness and communication and trust and all that good stuff, we are human at the end of the day. And like, I think if monogamous people are allowed to make mistakes and fuck up, I think that non-monogamous people should be allowed to do that as well without having that label stripped from them. And so that's kind of my personal stance on it. Like I like I make a point to only say non-monogamous rather than saying ethically consensually non-monogamous on my own page. Some people disagree with me about that. I think that some people still see value in like putting the prefix ethical or consensual because they want to make a point that is like a focus in their approach and that like they're not cheating. But then I don't want to I guess I just you know, I I don't feel the need to like make a specific point that I'm not a cheater because anyone who knows me knows that I'm not. And so, yeah, that's my personal take on it. And it is one that, you know, I think some people agree with, but some people like very much kind of bulk against. So, but that is my opinion. (laughs) I mean, I think that's a great argument. Absolutely. Especially where you mentioned that, you know, like the ethical and consensual part. Obviously, I think the consensual piece, at least of it, we're all very like consent conscious, but I like what you said about the ethical piece of it, because you're right. Like we are human and like we make mistakes. I think 
I think sometimes, or a lot of times, because polyamory and non-monogamy are so, you know, new, or not, I shouldn't say new, what's the word? I mean, they're still kind of like taboo. They're still not widely known or widely discussed. Like people think it's, you know, they have strong opinions on it, or at least some of them do, that, you know, if you want to practice it, you almost have to be perfect at it because like we can't fuck it up because otherwise yeah. like, oh, look, it doesn't work. Exactly. So it's like, we're all human. Like we're going to make mistakes. So I, I really like that you said that just because you can't be perfect in polyamory, non-monogamy, like when you started out, like obviously, and that's where, you know, like the ethical piece of it comes in. You just, you're not always going to be perfect at it. So I think that's Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think that labels kind of mean nothing if you don't practice what you preach, right? And I think unfortunately quite a lot of people like use labels to kind of justify a lot of like otherwise quite unethical actions. You know, I know plenty of people who call themselves ethical, ethically non-monogamous and then they proceed to do things that are like not ethical at all. And then they're like, yeah, but it's like what we're doing as ENM, like that's the aim, right? And then they kind of use that as an excuse. And I think also by putting everything under the ethical non-monogamy umbrella, if someone does something bad, like say like they are in like a toxic dynamic or even an abusive dynamic, and then they go to a support group and they say, I had these experiences, I had a bad time, you know, I was manipulated, I was abused, then like, you know, the community will be like, oh, well, that's not polyamory then, like, because they fucked up and like, that's not polyamory and that's not non-monogamy. And then so this person is just like, okay, well, but I still need support like on this situation where it's like everyone's just like yeah mm-hmm. well like we disavow them we're just not going to talk about it because like this isn't us and so I think it sweeps a lot of issues under the carpet you know so there are so many conversations to be had about like how toxicity and abuse can still be perpetuated in non-monogamous dynamics and I feel that uh, that's something that the polyamorous community isn't quite ready to confront yet because we're still dealing with so much crap from mainstream like monogamous society just like proving that like it is a relationship style that can work so like what you said about like the pressure and the expectation of like having to be perfect from the get-go i think that's like something that monogamous people don't really have to contend with like you know you can mm-hmm. you can fuck up you can break up and it's fine whereas like you know if there's a problem in any of our relationships then immediately everyone's like oh yeah like i told you so you know <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. No, and I hate that. And especially like a lot of times I'll see people that, you know, maybe they enter non-monogamy or polyamory. And like, I always say it's definitely a pressure cooker for personal growth, in my opinion, because you just learn so much about yourself in it. I know I sure have. And so like sometimes, you know, if you say you're married to your partner, you guys venture into this, you learn new things about each other or, you know, about yourselves and, and maybe like you just kind of grow into, you know, new people like incompatibility, like not that it's like a bad thing, but maybe you decide there are different things that you want. And so like, if maybe the marriage or the relationship, like the established one before, after opening the ends, just because naturally, like they just, after learning new things about themselves became different people and and just wanted to take their paths in different directions. And like, there's nothing wrong with that, but like people's immediate reaction is like, see, non-monogamy was not, you know, like a good thing. Mm. Like you messed it up. But but that's why I think like so much personal growth happens. Like it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. And yeah, hopefully you stay together and and it goes great and whatnot. But like, if it doesn't, it doesn't, it's okay. It's Mm -hmm. just that piece of it always irks me. So yeah, absolutely. Because like sometimes like two people are compatible in a monogamous setup, but then like when you open up, like maybe you change so much as people and your relationship changes so much that like you come out the other side and you're not the same people anymore and you're not compatible in the same yeah. way that you were before or maybe you were like comfortable in a hierarchical setup and then you become non-hierarchical and then like that doesn't gel well so like there's mm-hmm. so many different things that change in the process of opening up that honestly like I really commend the people who like make it the full way and are still together at the end of it because like you know it shows like how much work they put into it but also like how much luck they had that they happened to evolve in the same direction 
I agree completely. Now, hierarchical is another one. There are terms within that that you see quite a bit as well being talked about like in the community. For example, and I know I've mentioned this before, primary versus secondary. You know, those were two of the terms that I learned in the beginning, but kind of as you put them in practice, I just didn't agree with them a whole lot. Not that they're bad if people use them for themselves. Like it's just for me, I didn't think that they really applied to like how I wanted to treat those relationships. I really like what you said in one of your posts about instead of using like primary, for example, using like nesting partner, anchor partner. So if you want to like go into a little bit about those terms to explain, because I don't think I've ever covered those terms on this podcast at least. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think like to preface that discussion, I think to first kind of clarify that like there are some relationships in polyamory that are hierarchical and some that are non-hierarchical. And what is meant by that is that like in hierarchical relationships, there's like a very clear kind of priority of partner that you put first, you know, no matter what the situation. So then this could be someone that you're married to, someone that you're living with, etc. just like, you know, your main partner. And then everyone else kind of revolves around that. And in some cases, but not all, the primary couple will set rules and limitations on the other relationships to ensure that they maintain that spot as like number one but this doesn't happen all the time but this does happen in some cases so for example like instilling something like veto power like where it's like oh if i don't like your other partner then i have the right to like force you to break up with them or like if i just don't like them you know i can kind of voice my opinion on that or setting rules like oh like you're only allowed to see them a certain number of times a week or like you're not allowed to go on holiday with them or you're not allowed to like go over to the house for like like a sleepover you know so like they can maintain that kind of primacy status and then there's like non-hierarchical relationships which is kind of basically where like that doesn't happen but then i kind of want to make clear that it's not about treating everyone exactly the same because like every relationship is different i think everyone kind of wants different things but it's more about like being able to have a voice like in each individual relationship and like to be able to kind of customize that relationship according to what the two people want rather than having some external force like from like the primary couple kind of imposing certain limitations like on the relationship so then that's kind of the main difference and Obviously, I think it's important to acknowledge that like some hierarchies are inevitable. I think that like, for example, if you're married, like obviously you're going to have legal entanglements that you don't have with your other partners. If you live together, you're going to have to deal with rent and taxes and that kind of thing that you wouldn't normally have to do with other partners. If you have kids, obviously you're going to prioritize the kids over anything else. And so in those scenarios, like some people kind of call their relationships hierarchical, like out of circumstance, whereas like some people kind of impose hierarchies specifically, like the limitations and rules that I mentioned to kind of maintain security and primacy. And so basically, you know, in hierarchical relationships, like people use the language of primary partner, secondary partner, whereas in non-hierarchical relationships, people tend to use much more descriptive terms. So then the ones that you brought up just now are ones I've mentioned. So there's nesting partner, which like refers to a partner who you nest with, who you live with. But then it's like a non-hierarchical setup, as in like just because they live with you doesn't mean that they're necessarily more important to you than anyone else. I mean, for example, like Gabrielle Smith, who you previously had on the podcast, like she lives with her best friend, but then, you know, she very much like has a very important relationship with her best friend as well as with her partner, Alex, right? And so, yeah, like her best friend is her nesting partner, but then like it doesn't say anything about like how like she would put her best friend over like everyone else in the world. And then the other term is anchor partner, which is like, I think it depends on the person, but how I personally defined it is like my anchor partner is like the person who I have like a lot of kind of just life entanglements with. So like I live with them. I I don't plan on getting married to my partner, uh, not legally anyway, but we do plan on having children. So then like our lives are very much kind of enmeshed. So kind of like, so like we are anchored to each other because of these things and so again it's a much more descriptive term rather than just going like primary partner which it implies a ranking to me it implies that you know no matter like what the situation like i'm gonna like he's gonna be my first priority i'm gonna put him first which 
you know, obviously I think it will depend on the situation, right? So it's not necessarily, terms like anchor and nesting are necessarily replacement for primary, but then I think the connotations of them are slightly different. And I, you know, prefer that language much more. Um, although I will say that some people say that they're non-hierarchical, but actually are very hierarchical in their actions. And so just because someone uses non-hierarchical language doesn't mean that they practice what they preach. Again, what I said earlier, like labels mean nothing if you don't actually do what you're saying you're doing. So I would encourage people to still kind of watch out and like look for kind of how people act rather than the things that they say. Right. No, I thank you for explaining anchor partner. I understood nesting partner a little bit more than anchor partner. So I like that description, kind of showing the distinction between the two. It makes sense. I'm curious, is there a reason why you don't want to get legally married? Just like, you know, I, I think that at this point in the modern day, it's really unrealistic that obviously I hope that my partner and I stay together forever. But then like, given the statistics, like that's very unlikely mm -hmm. and i don't want yeah. to make like if we do break up in future like i don't want to make that process any more difficult than it has to be um i think mm -hmm. divorces can get very ugly i think that like once people kind of get money and lawyers involved it can get really messy and that it could ruin uh, what is left of like our connection whereas like wouldn't happen if we weren't legally married and so it's kind of more of a kindness to our future selves because I just kind of don't see a need for that entanglement at this point in time. And I think financially, it's also a very risky decision, you know, <laughs> to kind of put so many of my assets on the line. And I think like the only situation in which I would legally marry my partner is if one of us had a terminal illness and like the other person didn't want to deal with all the crap of like... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, inheritance and inheritance tax and all that type of stuff. So that that's the only situation in which I would, I would see myself legally marrying my partner. And that would be purely for very practical reasons. But... It's a legal contract. It's a piece of paper. It's not really something that I put sentimental value on and like my partner feels the same about that. So it's a decision that we made for early, early on. And I think we're going to stick to it. But obviously I don't judge other people who do get married for whatever reason. I think some people ascribe much more kind of emotional meaning to marriage than I do. I think some people kind of like the security of that and, you know, like the legally binding commitment that it creates. And I do appreciate that. But yeah, like it's just not something that I intend to do. Well, you can always have like a cute little ceremony. Yeah, know. yeah. Like that's the plan. We're going to have like a commitment ceremony of some kind. Yeah. We're going to have like a big yeah. party. You know, like I think like the best thing would be having some kind of wedding orgy and then like like everyone that we're with together for like one big bash. It'd be great. I would love that, honestly. Love that. I would oh love that God. too. Please send me invite, okay? <laughs> yeah. Like we have plans, we have plans, but like much later down the line. I mean, we only just very recently moved in together, so we're not going to be thinking about that for a while yet. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I, your justification and all that I think is great, but also because I am married and you had mentioned, you know, people like the security of it. I agree. Yes, there is some security in marriage, but like I think a lot of times people think that marriage equals commitment and it really doesn't in my opinion, like that's where I have my reservations and how people view marriage. Cause I guess like now that I've been married and we're going on almost, you know, seven years of marriage, which is kind of crazy to think about, but it's like that piece of paper isn't really like what holds us together. You know, at the end of the day, it's like you choose each other 
every single day. And like, that's what commitment is like, just because the government has to get involved if we ever decide to split up doesn't mean that that's why we're going to stay together. But I really like that you said, you know, like maintaining kindness in a breakup for your future selves. And because I agree, like divorces get very messy, very vindictive, especially if you do have all these assets and such together. I don't know. I mean, I've seen friends that have gone through divorces and such, and it's like, you loved that person. And then this is how you're treating them in the end. And like, I think that's, it's one just of the kinda, saddest things. Yeah, it's one of the saddest things to have to like witness. And so, so. did yeah. you ever see that one post? There was, it was a post about couples splitting and they were separating all their Beanie Baby collection. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It, I remember seeing that picture. It was pretty astounding. It was like, it had to have been like at least a thousand Beanie Babies. Oh yeah. my God. They were literally like on the courtroom floor, like on their knees. Here's your hair. Yeah. <laughs> Separating bees. Interesting. Um, Christ. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think like the one more thing to say about marriage is like, I think also partly my decision, or, like, or rather I could say like our decision kind of like not to get legally married is partially influenced by kind of us looking at our own parents' marriages. Because I had a very different, complete opposite experience like from my partner. So like his parents are divorced. They've divorced when he was quite young. And like the divorce got extremely messy, you know, legally speaking. And yeah, like, like you said, like very vindictive and just, I think like it brought up kind of conflicts and uh, things that like that wouldn't have been present if they had just kind of not gotten like the government and the law involved. Uh, whereas for me, like my parents are still together, but at this point they're just like staying in it because they've signed the papers and they can't be asked. And, you know, I think that's really sad because you shouldn't kind of stay, you know, stay in something just because you made this commitment 30, 30, 40 years ago, that doesn't really serve you anymore. And so, you know, I think it just kind of the misery on both sides, like no matter what the outcome is, like it's not really something that I want to see. Like I don't want to kind of bind my partner to me in a way that he's like, oh, you know, I want to leave, but I don't want to leave because it'd be so much work. I don't want that to ever be a thing that crosses his mind because I think like that's not very, that's not very kind to me. That's not very kind to him. That's not very kind to our relationship. So then I kind of, I actually wanted to make it easy for us to break up. I don't want to kind of have anything that holds us back from doing that because I think, you know, even if it is painful, we'll be happier in the long term for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even me as a mostly monogamous person, I was engaged for a few years and then we broke it off. And after that, I really started reevaluating marriage. And I was like, do I really need this in my life? Like, I just want someone to love me. And I want to have a little ceremony. But does that mean I need the papers? And I remember, you know, having the ring and then him and I splitting. It was a lot easier without having like all the financial binds. It was just a clean cut. And I really appreciated that. So and me being able to have friends and be an ally of the non-monogamy community, I get to see how marriage can be more restructured and, you know, deconstructed. And I think it's helped me view it differently in a way that's more helpful. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So last term that I wanted to cover, this is one that I, I like to use just kind of in a cheeky way, but I see a lot of people that 
have issues with the term harem. Just because like Kimi and I <laughs> mentioned it before, we like reading reverse harem fiction. That's kind of our introduction to non-monogamy. And so like I've said before on this podcast plenty of times, I'm like, you know, I want to build my own little harem. But I've seen before where people are like, oh, harem implies that like your partners can't go see other people. Like they're just connected to you. They make it seem very like toxic and whatnot. And, and, and I understand that. Like I get that historically, like harems are not necessarily like the most healthiest examples of relationships. I just use it kind of in a cheeky way, but I don't know. I mean, I think the term harem, like, I think there's the possibility that we could remove that negative connotation from it. So any thoughts on that term? Yeah, I mean, I think a harem has its own connotations and usually in the, the non-monogamous community, people use it quite ironically. And I think honestly, it's quite funny because like harems are usually referring to like one man with multiple women who, you know, are under his control. But then I think as women, if you're using that term, quite tongue in cheek and in a way it's quite empowering but i think personally you know i've used harem kind of like ironically you know when i had like multiple friends with benefits that i like at university where i kept kind of on like on a rotor almost kind of my partner kind of joked that i had a harem but obviously like they're free to seek whoever they want but yeah like i mean it's just like a fun term that's very tongue in cheek but i think like what this kind of leads quite well to is, you know, some relationships, some polyamorous dynamics where, like, monogamous people are involved because there are some relationships where, like, say one polyamorous person is dating two or three monogamous people or, like, there's a couple where one is monogamous and the other is polyamorous and the polyamorous person is dating other polyamorous people as well as their monogamous partner. You know, and I think, like, those can be misconstrued as harems, but then I think the main difference is that the polyamorous person isn't forcing the monogamous people to be monogamous. It's just, like, they're like, yeah, like, one partner's enough for me and I don't need to find any more. So, like, it looks the same from the outside, but obviously, like, the agreements are very different and there's no kind of control element there. So yeah, I think some monopoly relationships as they are called are not very often discussed in the community. I think like up until I think maybe about like a year or two ago, I think most people just assume that they never work. But there are many very successful monopoly relationships. And I'd honestly love to see more coverage of that on your show and elsewhere. Because like I think they're very often forgotten. Like, you know, it's it's like two worlds colliding and the very, very different mindsets. And so yeah, it's interesting. But like those dynamics like do occur and then they're very different from kind of traditional definition of harems. I like what you had mentioned about monopoly. Absolutely. I want more representation of it as well. But, you know, I remember when I first got on the dating apps, I thought it was kind of interesting. I ran into quite a few men that, you know, said something along the lines of like, I don't mind if my partner is non-monogamous or some of them are even like, I want them to be non-monogamous, but I want to stay monogamous to them. And like, I just remember that was my first introduction to monopoly. I know people say all the time, like you said, that, you know, they don't work, but I think they can. And I've seen, you know, on Reddit and whatnot, people all the time, they answer questions about monopoly and, and they describe their experience with it. And some of them seem very positive. So I wonder if there's a little bit of kind of a, a cuckolding kink attached Absolutely. to it. But <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. In some cases, I'm sure there is, you know, I think some people, yeah. you derive enjoyment from that. Yeah, like, yeah, all, all the more power to you, right? Uh, like, I wouldn't assume that of all dynamics. I think some people, they're just like, yeah, I can't be bothered to date more than one person, but my partner can do that if they mm -hmm. want. Whereas other people are like, oh, yeah, like, this is hot, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I think they can be very different <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's cool. And I mean, I think if you're the monogamous person in a polyamorous relationship, like people probably give them like so much crap. And like, so I, I really commend those people, you know, I think it takes a lot of kind of self-awareness, self-love, mm. self mm. like acceptance and everything. Like you're just like, yeah, you know, if you want to do that, it's fine. But like, I'm good with this. Like I imagine that their egos are quite subdued to the point where like they could do something like that and practice it in a healthy way. Probably takes They've the, killed their egos. Yeah, probably takes a very they specific, yeah. 
I think it's okay if one person doesn't want to be poly and the other one does, doesn't take away from their personal relationship. And a lot of monogamous people, they can't see that. You know, they're like, okay, well, you're not doing anything. Don't you want it to be even? And it's like, it's not a competition. Yeah. Like, you know, we're not trying to rack up points here. Yeah, everyone, it is even because everyone is doing what they want and what fulfills them the most. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not a scoreboard. Like that doesn't go into it. It's even all on its own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now this is probably going to be my favorite topic because I've been waiting to discuss this with someone. You (laughs) mentioned earlier season three of you on Netflix. Let's get Um, into it. So for our listeners, I don't know if any of you have watched season three of you so you should preface with spoiler alert if you haven't and you wish to yeah if you haven't pause now and come back to this a little bit later because i'm gonna ruin some things for you but so i guess to kind of give people who maybe don't want to watch a show a little bit of a background on it so we've got this couple they're married they've got a child together they murder people they yeah To put it plainly, uh, that they both got a little bit of a of a psycho, of psychotic kind of streak. Anyways, basically, what ends up happening is um, the the male partner, his name's Joe. He's falling in love with this other girl. He's kind of got a pattern of always falling in love with women. Anyways, and with his wife, he was like, "Well, I need to end the marriage so that she leaves, so I can go be with this other woman." And that's the the premise of why he did this. So when their neighbor, who is, their neighbors are like, I guess, more swingers, I would say. Yeah, I would say more swingers. Their neighbors kind of make a move on woman in the relationship. And then the woman approaches the man about trying it out, maybe having an open relationship. And so from here, (laughs) I had a lot of thoughts. I don't even know, honestly, where to start, but probably like the one moment that really pissed me off, which you mentioned earlier, was he was reading a book and he was like, polyamory aka swinging and i about like chucked the remote at the tv (laughs) there were so many things wrong with like just oh my god i think it's episodes like seven to nine of that show of of yeah it's the latter half yeah it's the latter half yeah so many things wrong with it right so firstly like the polyamory aka swinging remotely not even the same thing right and then Obviously, they can overlap, but like, yeah, like just him just going like, AKA, like, no, they're not the same thing. Also, the fact that he was, uh, like, the book that he was holding was More Than Two, and More Than Two has had a fair bit of criticism because, like, one of the authors, Franklin Vo, you know, it was revealed in 2019 that, like, he has had a pattern of abusing women. And, like, while, of course, like, you know, any proceeds of the book, like, are kind of shared between Eve, who is one of his victims, and Franklin, like, the book has largely kind of fallen out of popularity like ever since those allegations came out so so you know i wonder if it was accidental that they used that book you know such like a manipulative abusive character kind of reading from this book that was by another abuse i wonder if that was intentional or not but i'm probably not going to give the showrunners too much credit it was probably just you know they just searched polyamory book and used the first thing that came up i think i also really hated that like in his voiceover he called polyamory like a dying marriage's last grasp or whatever it was yeah, like well, that pissed me off. Last gasp, something like that. I hated that too because I'm like, what? No, like that's not why people. I mean, I, I think people think that that's why people open up, but it doesn't mean like, oh, our marriage is failing. Like, let's try this, like one final hail mary, and then it's polyamory. And I'm like, just I wanted to bang my head against a wall. 
<laughs> yeah, there was just a lot wrong with that. And I think also like the whole premise of that, he wanted to make his wife think that polyamory was her idea. But then like he was kind of basically kind of covertly like cheating on her and she was also cheating on him. And then like, it was just mm-hmm. a mess. And then like the whole thing. Oh, what I will say though, is like, obviously we know that Joe and Love are not good people. And so I like, don't think we should kind of hold them to the standards of like, you know, oh my god, is this good representation? Like, obviously, no, like, they're serial killers, like, obviously not. But what I, what I, what I will say is that one thing I did like is the couple that they met, you know, like, the, the swinger couple that they met. Like, so let's ignore for the, let's ignore for the moment that, like, they said that polyamory and swinging was the same thing, which is not. But I think that the couple that they met, uh, were very, very communicative. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, like, they're very in sync, like, the whole way through. Like, they kind of, you know, did, like, a whole meeting and, like, check in with Joe and Love and, like, asked them about, like, the hypotheticals, like, what they're into and what they're not into. Um, they talked about, like, sexual health, you know, and then they were like, oh, we can see that you two are not, like, fully secure. Like, we're going to back out of the situation because we don't want to rock your boat. I think all of that was quite well done, actually. I think, you know, I was mm-hmm. very, I was very happy to see that. Although I did think, like, all the papers and, like, the non disclosure agreement stuff was very like, overly formal but like I think everything else about that like the communication was on point and the attempted kind of foursome scene was was quite realistic I think like the things that they tried to do is on par kind of with my own kind of personal experiences of how these things go and yeah you know I like that they had a safe word and everything like so you know I think there are like good elements of that I think like they showed you know, they were able to to like show like an example of, of a couple that like clearly polyamory had made their marriage stronger and like they like clearly very like loved each other very much and like communicated very well and like it wasn't a fucking disaster like it was for Joe and Love. So I think having that contrast there was useful. But then what I didn't like was that like the husband, you know, like the swaying couple, like the guy, he was clearly extremely self-obsessed. Like <laughs> like when he starts like wanking himself off in the mirror and it's like, oh yeah, like Carrie, he's Carrie sexual. Um <laughs> Uh, and then that whole bit just and then just oh my god like and the wife was also like a bit cringy at points like when like she's talking to love and then she's like instead of saying like oh like you know it's so easy it's like riding a bicycle instead she says she says like riding a peloton instead um that made me laugh um (laughs) i forgot about that part (laughs) yeah just just like oh my god like just the most cringy kind of suburban couple like but yeah like there were pros and cons there were pros and cons yeah, I don't know. Like, what did you think of, like, the foursome scene and kind of, like, the communication stuff and, like, just, like, you know, like, the swinging couple, like, their dynamic. Like, what did you think? I agree. I was happy to see that they communicated as much as they did. And I really, really, really liked the part where they were like, we sense that you guys maybe aren't ready yet mm-hmm. and we're going to back out. Because I think a lot of times you have, like, experienced couples with new couples and... And I don't think that they always do the justice, experienced couples at least, of recognizing. Because, you know, they get caught up in like, oh, we want to, you know, have fun with this person. Like, I totally understand that. But I do think sometimes for people being able to recognize that, like, okay, maybe these people aren't ready yet. Like, nothing personal. It's just like, maybe we'll revisit this, like, when you guys are a little bit more ready. Just because I think that would help a lot in, like, people that want to participate in kind of those group situations. I agree. The non-disclosure agreement was a bit much. It's kind of like how in Fifty Shades of Grey, like for the kink community, you know, he had that whole contract for her uh, about all the stuff. And it's just like, it's a very formal thing. Like, I don't mind it, but like it kind of, in my opinion, would almost scare someone away from it. Like, oh, 
if we're going to enter like non-monogamy or like we need to have a contract, like we need to have, (laughs) (laughs) we need to have these like papers and discussions with people. Like I understand that that can be very intimidating. So I commend that that couple was very communicative and that they were, like you said, they touched on all the hypotheticals because I think people forget to touch on the hypotheticals. I think that was really important, but at the same time, like I don't want it to come across as like intimidating that if you're going to partake in these kind of things, there needs to be kind of like this like formal process to it. A discussion is good enough. You know, you don't have to sign anything and put your stamp it with a notary and all that fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Blood. <laughs> a wax seal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. As far as by a BBC turtle, as far as the foursome scene, I liked that she used the safe word. Yeah. Like at one point that they actually like showed where she, what was it? It was like Hakuna Matata was the Yeah, it was Hakuna Matata. Oh, it's so funny. Um, And then she, and then like the lady was about to come as well. And she was like, ah, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I thought that was really funny, but I liked that they actually used the word because, you know, just like. And that the fact that, like, the couple was, like, understanding, like, that's okay, you know? I think that's good representation of how, like, sometimes, like, if someone does grow to be too uncomfortable, like, it's okay. Like, don't, you know, get upset at them or anything. Like, be respectful of it. And I think, you know, in general, the non-monogamy community, from the sense that I get, at least, they're very respectful in those situations. I've read a lot of Reddit posts where people talk about, like, their first, like, foursome experiences and, like, nightmare situations, but then, like, you read the really endearing ones where, like, people were understanding and, and things like that. So I, I like that they showed kind of that side of it. Granted, it went all south. <laughs> it went so bad. It I went mean, so like, they south. Got, like, yeah, they got shot. They got knocked out. They got, like, a knife taken. to like, oh, my God. That might be another thing that, like, scares people away. They're like, we could be swinging with even know <laughs> oh my god yeah like that was that was a lot that was a lot and like um just i mean i mean i think like the fighting was realistic though you know like the jealousy attack and then like them like yeah. fighting about their relationship downstairs and then like while the couple upstairs is like what the fuck is going on like i've had experiences like that like i have had threesomes with couples and then like the f- couple have like fought about me like afterwards mm-hmm. because like you know one of them looked at me the wrong way and then mm-hmm. like that causes like a whole thing and it's like sometimes you can't predict these things and yeah like it brings up a lot of insecurity you know some people like they might find like the idea of like seeing their partner being fucked or fucking someone else like super hot but then others like they see it and they're like rage you know like and you just don't know what's gonna happen until it does so then i think having a safe word was like really important um even though it was like cringy as fuck but yeah mm-hmm. like it all went south oh one more thing that i want to mention about that kind of entire plot point joe explained the word compersion quite well yes yes yeah do you want to no, talk about that, that? No, absolutely. So, so can you all tell me what that what it was? Compersion. So yes. basically, he's reading... Was he still reading more than two? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, I yeah. saw this term in the book, yeah. Yeah, basically, compersion... I don't know if we've if I've told you what it is. Basically, like it's, it's like the opposite of jealousy. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I explain it wrong, but it's so like you gain satisfaction or like it makes you happy to see your partner happy with their other partners. Oh, okay. If that makes sense. So, yeah. Not comparison, compersion. Compersion. Yeah, so you're like happy to see them with other people. Okay. Yeah. So I so have not heard that term before. Thank you. So some people yeah. have, some people don't. I like that they explained it too, because I was like, ah! 
a term that's like uh, that we use and like they yeah right so that. yeah and he felt it as well like you know because you you get to hear kind of joe's inner monologue like throughout the episode right and then so he explains this term to love and then later on like when they're having the foursome and he's like watching her like being in her element with like the swinging woman person and she's and he's just like wow like you know i feel so happy for her oh that's what it is and i was just like yes here we are, mm-hmm. right? You know, like, um, you can kind of, you know, you don't have to be kind of consumed by rage, like, watching your lover with someone else. So, like, I thought that was another plus. So, yeah, I think my impressions of the show, are, like, of kind of that whole depiction are, like, mixed. I think, like, if they hadn't kind of just called it polyamory, if they had called it swinging, I would have, like, far less issue with it. I agree. Yeah, wholeheartedly. When they brought in polyamory, that's where I was like, mm, I don't agree with this. And and that's where I got really frustrated with it. Because again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. You know, you tell people like, oh yeah, I'm in an open relationship or oh, I'm polyamorous. And they're like, oh, so you're a swinger. And you're like, no. no. Like, and that's so like, <laughs> just fed into the problem that I have. <laughs> that's yeah. why I was so frustrated with it. I was like, come on, people. Like one simple Google term, swinging versus polyamory. And you probably could have figured out that they're two very different things. Yeah. in the non-monogamy community. And, I mean, I was happy to see that, like, he was reading a book, you know, but yeah. it just if it had been the ethical slut, I would have loved it. I mean, I agree. They got some things right. So, like, it is very kind of mixed emotions in the sense. But, like, I feel overall it could have maybe been done a little bit better in, in the way that they kind of categorized it and explained some things and and gone about it. And, and I wondered, I'm like, maybe like one of the writers was in a polyamorous or non-monogamous relationship and hated it. And now they want to just show like, <laughs> the bad I'm like, is that the problem? Is that it? Or, but like you said, maybe we shouldn't give them so much credit. Maybe they were just like, let's throw in polyamory, non-monogamy because it's becoming more mainstream and see what happens. And urban dictionary says. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I do not doubt that they just like found the first random source that they could and were just like let's run with this uh you know any representation like i'm not going to complain at this point like if it gets people talking about it it gets people learning about it i'm like i'm not gonna be too mad about it you know so like we we're probably gonna start with some like shitty representation then over time like as it becomes kind of more uh mainstream and people start talking about it more like they'll be we'll see kind of good representation in time no, I agree completely. And and I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, you know what? At least they like maybe they didn't do it completely right, but they did bring an element of it to it. And and Netflix I feel like has been very progressive. Progressive in the things yeah. that they show. Like yeah, in, a lot more dick. Yeah. Like you always see full frontal ma- uh, female nudity. Like thank God Netflix finally started showing penis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think like shows like uh shows like you and then like Sex Life or like Wanderlust or whatever, like on Netflix, uh kind of what they did for they did for non-monogamy what 50 shades did for the kink community you know mm-hmm, like absolutely. 50 shades like really shitty depiction of, of kink but did it get more people into kink did it get more people talking about kink absolutely yeah i mean that's how like it was my first introduction into kink honestly like reading the books i was like oh and then i was like oh you know so <laughs> i <laughs> i agree completely but no i i am happy to see it sex life is another one we've talked about it before on the show um with some other guests but that was one where I'm really curious to see what they do with season two, because mm-hmm. I hope that they finally introduce the element of like non-monogamy or polyamory. Cause the whole time I was like, the answer is pretty clear. 
babe, you know, mm-hmm. like to mm-hmm. see what we can work out here, like have a little negotiation with your husband. But they didn't really explore it. Sex education was another one. Where, oh my god, I have so many thoughts about that one. Oh, let's yeah. hear it. I want to hear it. Oh my god, I just think that like, you know, for such a progressive show, right? Like they explain mm-hmm. and go, go into like some pretty heavy hitting topics, right? Like they deal with abortion, they deal with kind of like gender identity and like, you know, like trans and like they have like trans and non-binary characters, like they talk about like sexual assault and like they handle it also like sensitively and amazingly and like, you know, they're all like so like sex education is an incredible show like i think you know it's the kind of most progressive show like of like of the modern day but yet like with non-monogamy like absolutely zero mention of it when there's like so many opportunities for them to introduce that and i do hope they introduce that next season because i do think that there's something going on between adam eric and raheem and i think like yeah i think there's something to explore like with those three next season because like eric is very clearly you know, he wants to be in a relationship, but he also kind of like wants to like have like have fun and like express himself and sexually and all that kind of stuff. And then like also uh, he gets very different things from Raheem and Adam. And then like Raheem and Adam used to hate each other, but now they've become like really like just like slightly closer um, through the stuff that happened in the show. And I think like there's so much potential there. And I really, really hope they go there because like I think it would be such a great thing to explore because they've done they've done their research on so many other topics. And if there was a show that I would think would handle nominally well, it would be sex education. Oh, I agree completely. That's exactly what I thought too. And and that's what I'm hoping for in the next season as well, because also just, they are all such young characters, you know, mm. they're all in what high school and whatnot. Um, which I mean, I know it can maybe kind of be a little bit early to, to start non-monogamy and whatnot, but at the same time, not, like, not necessarily. And especially like if we want it to become something that's more, you know, acceptable and everything, like obviously the younger generation, I think is more open-minded to it, but, you know, seeing that this is just a relationship structure, you know, that you can, you can choose to practice at any time. And if they portrayed in a healthy way, which like you said, I really think that they would, I think it would do loads for, for the non-monogamy community. So I really hope that both sex life and sex education explore non-monogamy or, you know, maybe forms of polyamory, like whatever it is that they, you know, anything on the spectrum I hope that they, that we see it in the next seasons because I just with both of those shows I was like super frustrated that I'm like why are we not like even diving into this a little mm-hmm. bit because the potential is definitely there so, yeah there's yeah. a Spanish show do you remember Elite Elite yeah that had the representation of kind of a three was it a triad Remember, it was the, yeah, oh, the girl true. and the two guys. I had I forgot about that. Yeah, so they a, did it with one character and two guys the first season, and then the next they did it with another girl and another two guys. Who was it oh. in the second season? It was the girl that pretended she was rich, but she was actually poor. Oh, that's right. And her and the um, the brother. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember now. So, uh, Elite is a show. It's Elite or Netflix Spain. So love Netflix Spain. Yeah, Netflix Spain, I think, has also put out some pretty progressive Very stuff. Very progressive, yes. But yeah, I totally forgot that. In the first season, basically, the girl and the guy are dating. And then it starts out as kind of like a cuckolding kink. You know, they like bring a third guy in because like the, the guy likes to watch the two of them and whatnot. But then they all kind of like start forming relationships. It's a triad, which mm. I know we discussed this with Claire a little bit. We see a lot of representation of triads. You know, I'd love to see maybe some more like quads or like polycules, um, but nevertheless, they do kind of explore a triadic relationship. It's a fair representation. There are some things that they could 
fix, I think. I think they did it better the second time around with the other girl and the two guys because they were actually like, they actually showed the conversation of them like explaining what they were to each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a very brief conversation, but at least it was more than just like, hey, we're bringing this third person in. Yeah, um, so yeah, I like that. That's really what I want to see more of is like the conversations behind entering non-monogamy, which when Joe and Love and you were were described were like talking about it before they entered it, like I, I did think that that was at least a positive thing. Yeah. Even though the intentions were like way off for them, like I I was really appreciative that they were at least like, oh, like let's explore this. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's read about it. You know, let's go talk to this other couple about it. Like I, I thought yeah, that yeah, was yeah. at least. Yeah, and him being supportive of it and it kind of being like, you know, if this is something that you want to try, then of course I would like support you the whole way. And, you know, we can talk about anything because like we're a team. And like, even though like obviously he was trying to get her to leave him, like <laughs> the, the kind of stuff that he was saying on the surface is very good and very supportive and like, you know, great. It's just a shame that like he had all these nefarious motivations. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So, well, I mean, and if it all goes to hell, we can write our own script and make our own show <laughs> and pitch it yeah absolutely i'd love to see it yeah like i said if there was like i had read this on one of your posts where like i'd love to see rom-coms about like, oh my god yeah like to all the boys i loved before but polyamorous i would love that exactly so yes oh and i know god. we had talked about this like with one of our you know more kinky guests as well is like more kink too because like i know there's a lot of overlap in, in polyamory and kink but like the, those two spaces i feel like a lot of writers and producers are like really missing the mark and creating very original storylines and very like refreshing and like new content and exploring kink and polyamory in kind of the typical movie rom-com whatever genres so yeah i think they all need to get ahead of the curve and just write something on it mm -hmm. that's why go for it do so yeah. <laughs> Have you seen any other shows that kind of give, you know, that you've seen that are a good representation of it? Um, on Netflix, the only one I can think of is Sense8. Um, although kind of polyamory is not really the main focus of that show. But like, I really enjoy kind of how like mutually supportive everyone is and like a kind of unconventional relationships that are explored in that. I think that's really great. So Sense8 is another kind of recommendation I have. Like off Netflix, I think Trigonometry is a really great show. Trigonometry is about a triad um, and it's set in London. And I think it's actually done quite well. Like it's a very slow progression of like a triad relationship that feels very like organic. And, you know, you're really like getting to know the characters on a very deep level and kind of watching how they kind of slowly realize that like everyone's in love with each other. And so I really enjoyed that. Um, and then one I'm really enjoying right now is actually quite an old show. It, I think it actually aired like, like in 2014 or something crazy. Oh, wow. um, so there's a TV show called Black Sails. I think it's on, I, I don't know what platforms it's on, but like Black Sails is basically about pirates. So it's about, it's basically a mixture of what we do know about actual real life pirates that lived way back when, and also like blended with the novel Treasure Island. And so like they take bits from history and they pay, take bits from fiction and they kind of blend it together to make like this amazing pirate epic. So like, and everyone is gay everyone is gay and everyone is polyamorous and it's incredible and like genuinely like i think for a show that was airing in 2014 like it is the most incredible thing i've ever seen it's like game of thrones except like it's pirates and also it doesn't have a shitty ending and like, <laughs> it's, yeah 
So all the characters, like, they're, like, very morally flawed. Like, they backstab each other. There's a lot of drama. There's gore. There's sex. Like, you know, it's it's such a gritty show. And then also, yeah, there's quite a lot of, like, non-monogamy explored in that as well. So if anyone's kind of into kind of more, like, historical stuff, like, that one's a really, really good one. So would recommend Black Sails. I'm intrigued. How many yeah. seasons of it are there? Do you know? Uh, it's four seasons. And I think each one's 10 episodes. So it's 40 episodes. She brought, like, and it's over. Oh, pretty like, good. You know, yeah, so it's all right. Yeah, I am so captivated by that story right now. Like, I'm almost finished with it and, like, it's genuinely enthralling. It's so good. You're just rooting for, like, everyone because, like, all the characters are so, like, complex and, like, with such kind of deep histories. And, like, if you've read the source material, you know, if you know kind of some bits about pirates, like, you know, like Blackbeard or whatever from, you know, whatever books you've read or if you've read Treasure Island, like, it can be very, it's very interesting. So, honestly, like, that would be kind of a highlight of uh, kind of normal course representation in the media. Nice. I, yeah, I like that. I've heard of trigonometry, or I've seen it once mentioned, um, but I haven't watched it. But Black Sails, I have not seen. And then Sensei mm-hmm. was the other one you mentioned. So thank you for those. I really want to find Black Sails now. You mentioned <laughs> Wanderlust on Netflix. Yeah, like that one's okay. It's okay. It's basically about this woman and husband. They open up and they both, uh, you know, they, they date separately. It's not a triad. So good. But then, like, spoiler alert, basically it's revealed, like, at the end of it that, like, the woman is using this open marriage in order to, like, avoid some trauma that she had from one of her clients dying or something. Like, it's basically she's trying to kind of, like, avoid some shit because, like, she feels so hurt and embroiled in grief that, like, she's, like, avoid, like, neglecting her marriage in order to kind of pursue these new and exciting and risky things. And it's more like a complex kind of dive into her psyche more than like the open marriage itself and like I don't it doesn't have great implications for like why she pursued non-monogamy but what I will say is like the non-monogamy scenes like were quite positive like them kind of embracing their sexuality and them like splicing up their sex life and talking about it and like even like their partners meeting each other they did like a whole kind of dinner like they sat down and talked about it and like um so all that was great but then I think like they really ruined it at the end when it was just like oh no she was only doing this because like she's trying to ruin her marriage out of self-sabotage. So mixed review basically but um otherwise you know a good watch. So well thank you for that. I Wanderlust I hadn't even heard of so I understand like if people want to use you know sexual experiences to kind of help like in a healing way or people even use kink for healing like I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with it. And not that you know using non-monogamy for healing is wrong but like I agree like if it's kind of like a self-sabotaging implication kind of background of it definitely not the the best representation of it either I don't know I mean I do hope we continue to see it and like you said earlier you know any representation at this point like it's good because at least it gets people talking about it but I I hope that we do see shows that show healthy endings if if a relationship that's polyamorous or non-monogamous does end and you know, like just healthy. Or there's a happily ever after. Yeah. Or a happy. Yeah. Even. Yeah. And so I, I think there's space for both and, I, and I'd love to see both. The five of them run away into the sunset. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> we get to see them something nicely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That kind of concludes all the questions that I really had for this, but we definitely thank you. I guess kind of one last question is what are your hopes and and kind of dreams for the polyphilia blog. What do you hope to do with it all? 
Um, I definitely want to do more uh, workshops, like focused workshops on specific topics. Um, I definitely want to expand my Patreon and do more writing. And yeah, just kind of doing like whatever I can to kind of raise awareness and educate people about what a polyamory and non-monogamy is and isn't and to encourage people to build the relationships that like empower them and make them feel most fulfilled. And yeah, to, to basically normalize polyamory as a valid option rather than just like uh you know, something that people try as a Hail Mary for their marriage. So yeah, just, you know, doing the same thing that I that I am right now, but kind of expanding to more platforms, like doing more things, collaborating with more people and yeah, all that good stuff. So lots of things in the works. And so like, hopefully those who listen to this kind of follow me to kind of find out more about like what I'm doing. So um, I'll just do the plug now. Uh, I'm at Polyphilia blog, P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the same handle. And I also have a website, polyphilia.blog. And if you're interested in booking a peer support session with me, you can do that. Yeah, you'll be able to find the links uh, on any of my channels. So yeah. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Awesome. And Leanne, Perfect. don't worry about Reddit because every time people ask for sources on Reddit, I got you covered. Covered. I always mention you. So, <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, you're totally <laughs> no, it's true though. Like all the time I had mentioned this before, people would be like, I want to learn about polyamory. Like, where do I go? And people are like books and podcasts or like, you know, influencers. And I'm like, and then they don't like really give examples. So all the time I go on there and I'm like, I like Gabrielle Smith and polyphilia blog and poly pages and multi-amory. Like I mentioned, and I, you know, I throw all the ones that I used in there and so, yeah, I got you covered. Don't worry about Reddit, girl. <laughs> uh, amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, well, thank you again for joining us today. And yeah, we look forward to seeing more of your content and everything. And um, go give her a follow, everybody. Absolutely. She's got great memes. I love her TikTok. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the TikToks are like my favorite. Absolutely. The TikToks are my favorite. Uh, thank you so much. This is such an amazing uh, conversation. We covered so many topics and I, I like really enjoyed this. Awesome. Perfect. So Glad you did. Thank you. Yeah.